0: then we learn the tools to be able to do that um, hermeneutics inductive bible study uh, it can go as from simple as observations interpretation implication to full-blown you know greek hebrew the whole nine yards whatever it is the ability to understand your bible how you go to the bible and not just read it and butcher it take things out of context so that's level two and then from there you move into understanding a panorama of the Bible. There's a single storyline, and there's a there's a single author, and there is a single uh, main character. The main character in the Bible is God. It's His revelation. So, what is this teaching me about Him when I read this about Joseph? Uh, you know, in the Book of Genesis, it's not just about fleeing temptation. Why did God? this here, this story here why did he bring these stage players onto the scene and show us how they are living and working and doing why did he put them there to reveal something about himself, he's the main character then you can learn some things about man because no temptation taking humans, etc. which is common unto man so we're all the same, we're no different than the patriarchs in the Bible we're just as corrupt, we have the same flesh, same influence and yet same God, praise the Lord And then there's a single storyline, it's redemption. The whole Bible is about redemption. So if you just want to simplify, you know, the Bible, Genesis 1 through 3, it begins really, really good, as you know, and it goes downhill very, very quickly. Uh, And then God makes a promise in Genesis 3. He's going to fix the fall. He's He's going to do something. And then the rest of the Bible is how he does that. How he saves the people for himself. He raises up Israel in order to be the light, to bring the Messiah from them, to be the witness. He makes the promise to Abraham, as you know. And then from Abraham comes the nation. From the nation comes the Messiah. Uh, the law and the prophets. Prior to that, I'll point him to God. Uh, and then Christ is the pinnacle of, of all of human history. The God-man comes, dies, is buried, raises from the dead. And then since... Um, begins to make his disciples And sends us forth uh, To be able to proclaim that same message And we do that till he comes uh, What we're looking forward to is the very end What Revelation teaches uh, And unfolds, unveils to us There's a new heaven and a new earth with no curse Perfect man In perfect relationship you know, In a perfect place With, a, with an always Perfect God And you know, I'm looking forward that is the panorama. Okay, so there's the storyline. Um, then after that, uh, that's called biblical theology. You're going to see how that's developed. After that, then, as you begin to study the Bible, you see that the same doctrines are taught over and over and over, and you begin to categorize those. You know, oh wow, here's the here's the doctrine of salvation all the way back with get the promise to Abraham. You know, Abraham. Was a pagan. He wasn't seeking after God. He wasn't a good guy. You know, that was, oh, God, send me the gospel, send me the word. I mean, he's, he, his father's parents are pagans. He's from the land of Ur, and the Lord chooses Abraham, selects him, and then makes the promise to him, a unilateral covenant. Um, and Abraham believes God. It's credited unto him for righteousness. Um, and so you begin to see there's doctrine, salvation, the people of God, uh, Israel, the church, um, and that's systematic theology. You begin to categorize those things. Now, you don't want to go to systematic theology first because your systematic theology ought to come out of the Scriptures, ought to come out of the Bible. That's our authority. So you go to the Bible first. You don't go to a, a man or a book. You go to the Bible, but then you have to know how to understand the Bible. So you need those tools, hermeneutics, inductive Bible study, whatever it is. So you're not just reading. Um, and then once you get those tools, you begin to apply the tools, you begin to read the Bible with those tools, rightly dividing the word of truth as the Bible says, then you're going to see that panorama, you're going to see that redemptive thread. And as you read that redemptive thread over and over, you're going to see all these different doctrines and you're going to categorize those in different buckets, if you will. Salvation, the church, whatever. And all that's wonderful. I love it. Obviously that's what I do. I just, I just devour it. Um, but there's one more step and that's the very top of the, of the triangle the pinnacle: practical theology put it into practice we got all that information about God but God doesn't give us that information just to have information he wants us to worship him and we worship him um, both individually we love the Lord with all of our hearts, soul, mind and strength um, but Jesus says if you love me you'll do what? obey me me. keep my commandments that's exactly right what flows out of love love is not just something that gets you feeling it's obedience he's master I am servant he is lord Um, I'm bond slave and I do that in a love uh, out of love for him so we're going to talk about discipleship um, today and so back to your homework taking a self inventory you can say you love the lord but what is the outflow Take a self-inventory. Where are you serving? Um, are you discipling uh, anyone? Are you being discipled? Are you in the flow of ministry life about others' lives? I on page six. Do you sacrifice your time, energy, resources to serve others? Do you pray for others? All of those are, are examples of practical ministry. You can probably add a bunch of them. Uh, but there's enough in that list to convict me. I don't know about you. Um, and then you need to be using your gifts, even if you're not completely sure how. Get busy and and serving. Um, if I have a son and I ask him to uh, help me in the yard, help me rake the leaves. Maybe he's small. Maybe I've never showed him how to do that before. Am I going to be more pleased with him sitting on the porch waiting for me to show him what to do? Or am I going to be more pleased with him getting out there, picking up the rake, and just kind of doing whatever he sees me doing, even if he's scattering the leaves to the left and to the right or otherwise? And that's happened before, you parents know. Um, Activity, you know, I'm going to be pleased he's making effort that he's trying, even, uh, you know, if he's messing it up. Uh, God's bigger than you um, and, he, and he loves to steer moving cars as they say so um, get in there and drive put your uh, put yourself to uh, to work and he talks about being a student uh, and then I encourage you to look up the Bible passages for today which begins with Matthew 28 19 and 20 but right now I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 16 Psalm 16, why are we starting with Psalm 16, that's right, today is the 16th. Um, so we will read and then we'll pray, who wants to read Psalm 16 this morning, thank you David,
1: Psalm 16, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. And the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul, shale, or let the holy one see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand, pleasures forever.
0: Amen, amen. Let's pray, fellas. Father, as we come before you this morning, we uh we echo the words of the psalmist in prayer. We ask that you would preserve us um, for you are our God. Early in the morning, we we seek you. Many people are not even out of bed yet, um, and yet they they'll wake up and they'll go about this day. And uh, many of them, Lord, will will not even give a single thought of you. Um, some of those who even even name you as their as their master. And so I thank you, Father, that um, you've just reminded us we begin this day with. With you we look to you father we are weak and we are frail and, uh, and we need you I need you this morning I, I want to be um, your servant I want to be your vessel I want to be used in some small way to serve these men I want to do that with excellence and with great care and um, in and of myself I am not able but Father, you, uh, you empower, and you gift, and you call, and uh, you tell us that um, when we ask you, you hear, and, uh, and you grant according to your will, and surely it is your will that we, we learn of you and, and grow of you, you know, this morning. You know exactly what we need today. You know whether we need encouraged, you know whether we need rebuked, you know whether we need leanness to our soul. Uh, To get our attention, you know whether you need to fill us because we have taken our eyes away or are discouraged or maybe doubt. Uh, You see every heart this morning. And um, at your right hand uh, is joy, uh, pleasures, forevermore, and I can't wait to be there. Uh, But until that time, I, I get that fellowship and we get a taste of that through of your spirit and hearing you speak through your word and so I pray that you would help us today I pray that you would help us um, to learn about, uh, about discipleship uh, this morning Lord Jesus be glorified um, open our eyes to help us see things that we have not seen before, remind us of things that we already know uh, and then use these things to transform <coughs> us Father into the image of Christ Help us to see. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Lord, um, these are your words. This is is your voice. Um, Speak through your word. May our hearts be receptive. Um, Break up the, the, the hardened ground that might be there. Remove the calluses. I want to hear from You. I want to receive Your Word. I want to know what You say. I want to know who You are. I want to put those things uh, into practice in my life. Not just a means to an end, but I want to know You, Lord. This is eternal life that we may know Him. I want to know You. I want to know You you more than, than I already do. And then as I know You, my love increase as my love increases may obedience increase Um, oh Father how I long that this day would be absolute perfect obedience absolutely free from sin from wicked thoughts or, or poor motivations or omissions or commissions but I know that that is that is not this life but I long for it Look for it and I will pursue it and I will fight for it and I will kill sin uh, all by your grace and your mercy. Help each of us do that today, Lord. Um, bring you bring <coughs> great glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a video that we'll start with. We normally do that and it's going to set up discipleship uh, today. It is by David Platt. And um, you're going to uh, you're going to enjoy this, I uh, think. Then we'll get into uh, our lesson.
2: Love is a strange thing. Love makes you do strange things. My wife is the only girl I ever dated. (coughs) Which sounds noble until you realize I was so socially awkward (laughs) growing up and I was just afraid to talk to girls and so when God provided a girl who would talk to me, I held on to her. (laughs) So we just celebrated our wedding anniversary and I was reminded of a gift that she gave me one year. It was a scrapbook that contained a variety of letters I had written to her over the course of our relationship. And I want to risk any semblance of reputation I might have by sharing just a really small portion from one of those letters. So she had just moved off to college. I was still in high school, and i missed her. And we were technically just friends at this point, but you know, how that goes. I wanted to be more than friends. Apparently, we had just talked on the phone when I wrote this letter to her, and this is what it said. Dear Heather, dude, I am so glad you called tonight. Dude, what kind of opening is that? Guys, I know when you write a letter like this to a girl, you pour over every word. I have no clue what compelled me to think that the first word out of the chute should be, dude. (laughs) So, I continued. I've wanted to call you Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and today but I just figured you were too busy. You're not supposed to say that. (laughs) You're supposed to say that you've been really busy. Apparently I was not. When I heard your voice, I wrote, when I heard your voice, it was so awesome that I can't explain how I felt. You sounded so awesome. Is this not the most lame thing you've ever heard? Been awesome twice. <laughs> so it got worse. He got three pages of worse. <laughs> uh, but I'm not gonna read. It. So I'm gonna jump right to the end. Okay. So this was my rousing conclusion, dude. <laughs> Dude, I'm not just wasting ink when I say this. <laughs> wasting ink? I mean, can you tell I never had a girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> this is painful. In front of this many people, this is really painful. My life isn't the same without you around, and I miss having to, you to talk with and spend time with. I miss you something fierce. Fierce. Really? Really fierce? Praying for you, dude. For those counting, that's, that's three dude mentions in a total of eight lines. In Christ. Don't blame this on him. This is not his fault. <laughs> <laughs> this is your fault. In Christ, David. That was my letter too. Oh, don't cheer! Why are you cheering? Why are you clapping? because you feel sorry for me. Maybe you're clapping for my wife. She's in here somewhere. You're like, oh, praise God that he provided somebody for that guy. (laughs) Maybe you're clapping for yourself because you're glad you didn't write that letter. (laughs) These words that admittedly seem ridiculous to you reflect a relationship with my wife. A relationship marked by adoration, affection, longing, ultimately, love. And my simple question for every one of you this morning is this. Do these words describe your relationship right now to Jesus? Adoration, affection, longing,
1: ultimately, love.
0: Good, isn't it? Well, does it? Because um, out of love comes obedience. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I think sometimes we we turn that around, um, and again, you have to properly define love. Love is not, um, you know, affectional feelings. Affectional feelings come along with love; they accompany love. But they aren't. I mean, that's not love in and of its in and of itself. Um, but out of that love that you have for the Lord, it moves you to action. It moves you to fight sin. It moves you to obey. It moves you to get up at five o'clock in the morning and come to Grace and Granite because, um, you want to know him. And even as we pray, the more you know him, the more you love him, the more you love him, the more that you desire to obey. And the purpose of our series is to drive home some foundational convictions. And these convictions are what help give us as men the courage to stand on and apply truth in our, uh, in our lives. Um, and it's also to cause us to have a greater commitment to the bride of Christ being the, the church. We are not spiritual um, individuals as much as we come together in the church. So the title of our study this morning, we've moved from those original convictions to discipleship. Um, and your love for Christ... Your life ought to characterize love for Christ. If it doesn't, then that's where it needs to start. But if it does characterize love for Christ, then it will look like an obedient life. Um, and that's not just fighting sin. It's not less than that, but it's way it's way more than that. And the mandate that every Christian has, you know it well in Matthew 28, 18-20. So I'm going to read it to you because that's where our doctrine of discipleship begins and this is the the last statements that Jesus gives to the disciples this is after the resurrection he's called them to himself he's prepared them and he gives them a command and that command is is ours today verse 16 the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated and when they saw him they worshipped him some doubted some were doubtful but they began with with worship that's where this command begins it begins with worship where all commands begin and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Um, the time of his humiliation was over, and now he is being exalted, and he will be exalted. He'll ascend into heaven, and he will he will take his position at the right hand of the Father, completing his work, and he is there even this very morning. First John chapter two tells us. God doesn't desire us to sin, but if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation. So at the right hand of the Father this very morning, as you get up and you don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you don't love Him the way that you should, even as you go throughout this day and maybe fail in obeying, the Father sees that and He looks to the Son. The marks of the slaughter are still on. He's exalted. And then one day, He'll come exalted over all of the world. But just because he's in heaven and he hasn't come to Revelation 19 where we're at on Sunday night doesn't mean that he doesn't have authority. Remember on Sunday morning we talked about the difference between authority and power. Okay, Power is the 18-wheeler. Uh, authority is the, is the police officer standing there. Um, the 18-wheeler can mow the police officer down but there's authority that's behind you know, the bag. Jesus has all authority he does not exercise this moment all of the power that he has but he will one day he will call all men into account and he will reconcile everybody um, to himself and so right now he has all authority and we go in that authority that's why it is important he it's his authority it's not ours all authority has been given to me Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you Do you even know all of the things that Jesus has commanded you? I don't I mean I I, I, I try, I read I pursue I, I'm sure some of it's because I'm lazy but I, but I try not to be, I hope not to be, but studied however long I've studied and even if I was perfect in my obedience I still would know all the things that he's commanded me but I'm learning I'm growing I'm going through that process reading and learning how to study the Bible and then seeing the panorama and then understanding the systematic doctrines and then putting that into practice we're being we're teaching them to observe all that he has commanded and he's with us even to the end of the age. This is the mandate of every Christian. It's where we develop our doctrine of discipleship. And on page 7, discipleship is not optional. It's not optional. All are called to disciple. That is, we must teach what Jesus taught and instruct them to obey. One of the common uh, excuses can't really say it in a nice way, common excuses uh, for not engaging in, in life on life, for not getting in another believer's life, for not allowing iron to sharpen iron, for not pursuing the growth of somebody else, one of the common examples is, well, I don't know enough about the Bible myself, and that's, that's, that's an excuse. Which is why we started with the very first lessons that we, we did and why we started with this today. So then rectify that. It's not a reason not to do it. That ought to give you even more motivation to turn around and then pursue the Lord yourself. And then as you're pursuing the Lord, you just confess that. I don't know as much as I should and I, I, I find that I'm spiritually lazy, but I'm fighting against that. Would you like to fight against your spiritual laziness with me? I mean, that's basically what you're Doing. So it's not optional. It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for the deacons. It's not just for the Sunday school teacher. It's not just for the expositor seminary student. Every single Christian is called to disciple. Um, and that is we must teach what Jesus taught and instruct them to, you know, to obey. And I don't what don't know what you think about when you think about discipleship a nine-week program, uh, you know, a, a class like this. How did we? How do we present this? Grace and granted when we started. This is my personal devotions. It can be your personal devotions. We'll just do the devotions together, right? And that's discipleship. The, the goal is not just to teach you a bunch of material. The goal is to walk with Christ together, to be convicted together, to learn together, to gain more knowledge about Him together, and then obey what whatever it is so we teach what Jesus taught what did Jesus What did Jesus teach it's the word from Genesis to, to Revelation so if you go all the way back to day one um, which I won't you don't need to do that Spurgeon said if you wish to know God you must know his word God wrote a book remember the first video he wrote a book think about that God wrote a book <laughs> and it is a window it's not a still picture that you just sit back and look at oh, isn't that a beautiful picture it's a window that you look through into reality um, man there's so many things that try to keep us from seeing reality this is the chair that you're sitting on going to work and, and all of the things that are that's part of reality but that's not reality what's reality is is the spiritual side of things so we teach what Jesus taught and we instruct them to to obey there is the the practice again it's not just to instruct but it's instruct to obey but if you don't know what to obey then you can't obey you're just running around like a chicken with your head cut off as my grandfather or grandmother used to say and you don't want to do that you want to be going in a direction there's a horizon point where are we all going we're being conformed to Jesus Christ we want to be more like him yes he's going to have to change this a whole lot but I want to pursue it I mean, that's the goal, Christ, form Christ in my heart and in my life so why do we struggle to help people grow in discipleship why do we struggle to obey this very very clear command is Matthew 28, 18-20 clear? has anybody in here not heard the great commission before? possible, but most of us I think have we've probably heard it ad nauseum and most of the time we hear it is at a missions conference or something like that and, and, and you should not I mean, clearly it's appropriate there but you should not categorize that as oh that's only for the missionaries this is for us, every one disciple, so why do we struggle with that well there are four reasons um and the first one is, is ignorance um we don't do it out of ignorance. We don't know it's a mandate. Um, we're confused that somehow there is that's for the super Christians or the ones that are really obeying. Uh, some people overcomplicate their view of it. I mean, man, I've got I've got to be a navigator. I, I have to learn this discipleship material before I can turn around and disciple others but there's none of that in the Great Commission you teach people whatever Jesus commanded and you don't know everything that he commanded and so it's not an idea of getting it all and then passing it on it is you're learning it and you're bringing somebody else along and they're part of it too see some people think it's a specialized area for the professionals. Um, and we are under none of those kinds of delusions here this morning. Second, reticence. Why do we struggle? Um, it may be ignorant. We'll remove that this morning, but this is probably more, it's closer to home. Um, reticence selfish use of, of time I was telling somebody this past week, um, a couple people I think that I found over the last month or more that every morning whenever I get up I am just reminding myself not only that this day is what I'm promised and this is the day that I'm going to live Um you know, Jesus said, Sufficient for the day are the troubles thereof. The, you know, the Lord's ordained my days. Grace is sufficient for this day. Give me this day, my daily bread. So it's all about this day. You can't do anything about the past. The future's not even here yet. This is the day you have. Okay? That's part of the theology that I'm preaching to myself. The other part is, You are master, and I am servant. You, you are Lord, and I'm slave today. So it. It, my desires, my wants, my whatever must be subordinated to you. So I am pleading with the Lord every morning to make sure that I keep that, that order properly. Now why do I have to do that? Why do you have to do that? <laughs> because in your heart, there is a God. And that God wants to be served. You are the center of the universe. That's what your flesh says. On a regular basis. And so, how does that play out here with your time? I mean, I come home from from work. I'm tired. I've worked really hard. Maybe I've obeyed the Lord, done everything I'm supposed to do. And now I want to take it easy. Now it's my time, right? I mean, isn't that the message of the word? Have it your way. Um, Whatever it is. I mean, people are spending billions of dollars. To convince you that you are God and life is all about you. And then, as John Piper said, I have 50 minutes on Sunday morning to convince you that life is not all about you, it's all about Jesus Christ. And that's a that would be impossible apart from the work of God. So you've got to work at that. It's not just the pastor's job on Sunday morning to convince you that life's all about God. You do that, you are part of the battle. So why don't we engage in the battle of, of discipleship, of selfish use of our time? You don't own you. You understand there's two things that you bought into. It was more than two. There's two things that you bought into whenever you came to Christ. One, the Bible is the Word of God. You shouldn't have to convince any Christian that the Bible is the Word of God. That's your authority. And number two, you're not your own. This idea that salvation is it's just that, it's your get out of hell free card and, and that's it it's, it's, it's just not true I mean that's part of the picture all through the book of Acts Jesus is both Lord and Christ he's Lord and Christ he's your He's your Savior but, but he's your Lord that's the reason he is your Savior your eyes are open, he's God and God saved me from my sins selfish use of time hesitant um you lay back and you have to press in you're hesitant and being laid back sitting on the sidelines is a form of self-absorption you don't want to put yourself out there why don't you want to put yourself out there well, my heart might get embarrassed man, I know what to do I mean, that's all about self it's all about you it's all a form of self-absorption you can't be passive you have to be intentional and that may come very easy to some of you some of you walk in the room and you have no problem just walking right up to somebody you have no problem you know taking up the the air in the room and you might need to learn that you need to take a back seat to the lord himself might be your personality some of you others are you know who am i and would anybody want to hear from me i mean i'm just kind of laid back here and wherever it is The Lord. In that case, if you're hesitant, you have to you have to press in because that even that is a form of self-absorption. Fearful, fear man. It's a very common one. The antidote to that is is the fear of God. Too self-aware to serve others. So self-focused, you can be so self-focused that you can't even see others' needs. Let me ask you about your prayer, prayer life. Don't I answer this. Is the majority of the time when you pray spent on you? My needs, my struggles, my wants. If it is, I want to encourage you to lift your, your prayer life. That's part of it. You know, Jesus says, tell me your needs. In the Lord's Prayer, we know that's not a mantra, but in the Lord's Prayer, there's there's six parts to that. The first three are about God. So you start with God. It's all about God. I'm coming to God. It's it's you. Your kingdom. um, Your name. uh, Your will. I mean, Those are the three things you're talking about. And then you move to yourself. There's three things about you. Give me this day. My daily bread. And and then you're asking the Lord to preserve you. Nothing wrong with asking the Lord for things, for yourself. But if that's the extent of your prayers, or if that's the majority of your prayers, then you can be too self-aware. You can be too self-aware. If more battles are fought inside your head about yourself than outside because you're serving the Lord, you need to ask the Lord to help you deal with that. So you can just be so self-focused that you aren't even thinking about other people. And then see busying your life with, uh, with other things. And one of Satan's greatest tools is distractions. Even good distractions. Uh, MacArthur said when a man falls, he doesn't fall far. What do you mean by that? The idea when you see someone exposed in sin with a big name preacher or an individual, whatever it is, you get the idea. You don't know what's been going on in their life, so you think that they're way up here because they're giving a you know, a public persona that this is my life, this is how it's going and whew, oh wow, I didn't know, you know that that was going on but there has been a decline a significant decline for a long, long time so when a man falls, he's not up here and he falls far, he's already down here he's close to the ground, you just don't know it God knows it and distractions um one of the greatest tools that Satan uses, when Satan comes in your life he, he, he comes with good things, not just bad things yeah, I mean, be on guard for you know, for, uh, for, for the, uh, the immorality of the world and, and all that but also be on guard for good things that take you away from the mandate whatever it might be he's not going to show up at your house and knock on your door in a little red suit and pitchfork and say, hi, I'm the devil I'm here to ruin your life. And you go, sure, come on in. And he's going to slither in to your life. He's seductive. And he wants to lead you into sin. And he does that in bits and pieces. And he gets you distracted over here and takes you away from the very things that you need. So where are we at? We're back in 1 Timothy. You are to be an unencumbered soldier. You are to be a hard-working farmer. You're to be a competitive athlete. We're not ballerinas like like Phil Johnson said. This is war, gentlemen. It is. In their days when I get up and I wish it wasn't a war. <laughs> I wish it was easier, you know, than it is. Um, but that's where you're at. But there's also the promise of crops from a hardworking farmer. There's also the promise of winning the prize if you're an athlete. There's also the the honor of being a faithful soldier in the war. So it's not all drudgery. I mean, there's promise that's there, and there's victory. And there's enough enough success to keep you in it, and enough failure to keep you dependent. And the Lord knows exactly what you need today. Maybe you need a success today to remind you, God's there. He'll encourage you. But maybe you need a failure today to humble you, to remind you that you're dependent on the Lord. He's your good master he'll meet those out exactly how he knows you need it because he's committed to you. The good work that he began, he's promised it, and he'll continue it until you know until the day. You know? But I don't want the failure because I've been lazy, because I haven't been obedient. I want to fight. So you can be busy in your lives with other things. Indifference, number three. And this is scary act. I really don't care. Um, i had to ask myself that question. Do you really care? Um, are you really not sure that it matters much? It can come from a lot of different ways. And number four, disobedience. There's a general sense of what to do, but you just choose not to do it know what to do, but you just choose not to do it. You've been clearly taught from the scriptures, but you refuse to do it. And if God is your God, He will not allow you to remain in that condition. He will chasten you. He will bring leanness to your soul he will allow you to have exactly what you desire and your life will become difficult not out of spite or out of punishment you won't obey me so I am going to make your life miserable it's not the picture of God in the Bible you are not choosing the good thing and so I will will direct your attention away from the things that are distracting you to that which is good that which is holy, that which is which you can you can feed from. And the longer I'm a believer, I think the more appreciative of that doctrine I become. I used to not like it at all. You know, I hear my pastor talk about, yeah, the Lord taking us to the divine woodshed. And I re- I got took to the woodshed as I was a kid. I mean, there wasn't any of this time out stuff whenever I was a kid. I had five chestnut trees alongside the creek bank we had a pond in the front yard and the creek ran into the pond there were five chestnut trees there and um i had to go pick my own switch and that switch <laughs> stayed on top of the refrigerator and my mother called it uh you know dancing and jig she'd take me by by the arm and it was a little keen switch it's not it's not like child abuse or anything but i man i thought it was oh how horrible you know and she'd just do me like this and I'd go around and I'd just hop around in a circle and um, I don't like that but gentlemen can I tell you I am very very thankful for the chastening of the Lord because if it wasn't for that I would spin completely off the page I would not serve Him the way that I should um, I am I'm becoming more and more thankful for the leanness God. I am thankful that when I fill my mouth, to use Spurgeon's analogy, when I fill my mouth with ashes, that it doesn't taste good. He wants to bless you for your obedience. He does. He absolutely does. And that he points me to something better. I remember hearing Chuck Swindoll tell a story about uh, taking, uh, they had a Thanksgiving dinner. This was when he was still in Dallas years ago. I don't remember where I heard this. And um, you know they were taking uh, um, the less fortunate or the poor or whatever to the Thanksgiving dinner. So he takes this little little guy from inner city Dallas over to the, to the Thanksgiving dinner. And he thinks he's doing this wonderful thing. And I mean it's all the fixings. You know turkey and cranberry sauce and rolls and green beans. I mean he just uh, pecan pie, everything just wonderful, and he said, I'm proud of myself for you know bringing him and allowing him to participate in this wonderful meal and I noticed the kid won't eat anything and so I think maybe he's shy so I go get a plate and I bring it to him and he sheepishly won't eat anything and he takes a bite just to be nice and, <coughs> and on the way home, i you didn't eat anything. Are you not hungry? And he said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm really hungry." He said, well, "Well, why why didn't you eat? You know, what what can I get you?" Um, and, he, and the little boy wanted to stop at McDonald's. Stop at McDonald's, and you know, he gets him this Happy Meal or whatever, and the kid just devours, you know, devours everything. And he said, "His palate wasn't trained for." turkey and thanksgiving dinner he was used to eating the mcdonald's and he thought that was the turkey and thanksgiving dinner and how wonderful that was i am really thankful I'm nothing wrong with mcdonald's i like mcdonald's i love keto cooper <laughs> mcdonald's is right down the road it's good but that's that's nothing like filet mignon or a t-bone steak or whatever your favorite meal is um I am thankful whenever I I feed on on non-nutritious things, things that might not even be bad. The Lord reminds me that there's something better, and sometimes that comes through leanness to my soul. So those are four reasons why people struggle. Um, What comments do you have? What are some of the things you see in your life Don't tell me what you see in others' lives. Ah, preacher, I'll tell you why people don't win people. Tell me your life. What is it that you see? What's the struggles? This is a clear command. It's not optional. Could you add something to this list? Something on this list? Let me give personal testimony to you. Yeah? Um, I think under the
1: disobedience, it's more of a passive disobedience. Mm -hmm. Like just never really taking the time to, to set up that Not always because we like don't want to right. it's just
0: saying no, this is important to me. We do the things that are important to us. Right. And so it's not valuing it enough to be able to do it. Amen. That's a good word. Yeah. To go along with that, just having the time or prioritizing mm-hmm.
1: it above other things. Yeah. Because there's a lot of things that, that take our time and we feel is important, but it's not as important as being obedient. Good. Excellent. Yeah, Dave. Right. I appreciate the note there that said about being fearful <clears throat> in, in fearing God more than we fear man. We uh, our our culture is so much that guys just we talk and just talk about anything but stuff that's serious. Yeah. We're so sports, booze, joking. But man, it just you know, there's a hunger.
0: that very thing. I pray that God would give me a smooth transition to the gospel. I heard Jim Ferrickson, Dr. Ferrickson who's in this class or in our church right now probably 20 years ago I heard him pray that. You know, uh, somebody said I'm going to meet with a family member and uh, you know, they don't like to talk about Christ and so um, I, I, I just ask that you would pray as I take an opportunity to witness to them. And I was we all prayed in class. I listened to him pray. There's discipleship. He discipled me and he didn't even know it. He's just praying. just living his Christian life. And he prayed, Lord, you know, pray for all the things that you're supposed to pray for, you know, clarity of mind. But I pray for a smooth transition to the gospel from earthly things to spiritual things. Pray that. Ask the Lord for that. Because it can be a barrier to get from Virginia Tech. To Jesus. Um, the other thing I would say is, it's going to come in the in this in this next uh, next section. We're not just talking about a discipleship confrontational evangelism. Discipleship is just living your life for the Lord Jesus Christ, and looking around the orbit that you have. Yes, some of them may need the Lord, and some of them. Uh, may need drawn in you know, to a good church. Some of them may be in this church themselves. Or they already know Christ. So discipleship is teaching them. It's not just conversion. I love conversion. What a joy that is. I could tell you all of the wild stories that you probably you know, heard, you probably experienced some yourself, where the Lord just plopped you right in the middle of something and the fruit fell off in your hand. You know, the guy comes back to Eagle Irie and he forgot his jacket from Methodist Youth Weekend. He's a Methodist youth pastor. And he comes back on Monday after they leave on Sunday to pick up his jacket. I'm just the only one there. And I say, wow, isn't that amazing? Your youth pastor, tell me how you got into ministry and how you came to the Lord. And 30 minutes later, he's coming to Christ because he wouldn't even say. He didn't even have a testimony of salvation. I mean, all those stories are there. That's great, amazing, wonderful, um, but that's not all of discipleship. That's conversion. But like he says, "Don't make decisions; make disciples." It begins with following Christ, but then it's following, you know, Christ. Um, and uh, that's good, excellent day. Let me have a hand up there. Yeah, tough. Really appreciated what you said about the leanness that sometimes God
1: it Start longer and away. It's happened to me
0: many times, and I've, over the, the more recent months and years, I've, I've had a growing appreciation for that because every time I start to drift, um, it keeps me from getting settled in and keeps me searching and, and eventually bringing me back to Russia. Amen. I hate it and I love it, don't you? <laughs> I mean, I hate it. I want my soul full every day now I'm really thankful whenever it's empty. If Christ is not at the center, of it. Yeah, Jim. Yeah, Pastor Jeff had shared with some of the men a book on missions. Yeah,
1: and the author had pointed out that Jesus isn't going to lose any yeah. soul that the Father has given him. Amen. However, the command is to teach. Amen. So you know that's that really puts it in perspective. It's the local church. Yes. You know, it's Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and so on
0: amen. It's good. I mean, you have the absolute promise that all that the Father has chosen, God will draw to himself. But that doesn't happen apart from your obedience. You are the means by which God accomplishes that. And don't ask me to reconcile those two things, because I can't reconcile any more than you do. It's there. But you have to be obedient. I can remember being in California while I was in seminary, and I went to Applebee's, for dinner I think I was by myself and I remember this moment where I got done eating and you're always aware and I don't know maybe in a different place you're aware of more things you know looking at the sites am sitting in there I get this and I, I'm watching my my table allowing me to see the bartender and the bartender is doing all this stuff and you know working and it was just very evident by the way that he walked and the way that he moved, if he wasn't homosexual, he was effeminate in a very significant way. I mean, just very overt outwardly. And I can remember thinking, just my heart going out, man, God doesn't know the Lord. And he is going to perish. And I want to, and I just love to be able to communicate Christ to him in some way. What am I going to do? I'm going to walk up while he's, you know, serving a scotch and soda and say, can I tell you about Jesus? You know. Um, and so I'm just watching. And and I wanted, I prayed, Lord, give me a smooth transition. Is there some way that I can go, you know, I can get witness to him? And um, it, it was, I chickened out or talk myself out of it. Toward the end of the dinner, I, I was starting up there, and then the waitress comes in, you know, in in the middle, and she's got this big order. And I thought, well, you know, maybe it's not the Lord's timing, and, you know, whatever. And I walked out, and I remember as I was walking out, I was salving my own conscience for not doing what I really should have done. And I thought to myself, well, you know, if he's the Lord's, Will save him. You know, he's one of the ones that are going to be saved, and the Lord will save him. And immediately, God struck my heart and said, He didn't deny that. He said, "That's that's true. I will save, but you will also be the one who'll give an account on the Venus seat for being disobedient to me." There are there are twin truths that are there. You can't reconcile those. So when we go. We have the promise that God will save. Jesus cannot fail. The gospel will not fail. I will build my church. But we will stand before the bema seat and we will give an account for whether we were disobedient or not because he's given given the command. And so if you find yourself getting to one side or the other of that, then you know that you've lost the tension and the tension holds us in place. Um, It's too much you it's all about me, and I'm going to go win the world and change the world. You know, it's too man-centered. Um, but if you get on the other side, well, what will be will be. God will save who God's going to save. You're also in sin. You're, on, you're, in, the, you're in the other ditch. Keep the tension. You know, this thing. Yeah. So after you, you left, you yep. that conviction—what happened after that? I immediately asked, acknowledged that, asked the Lord to forgive me, and prayed. Pleaded with the Lord that he would send somebody in that man's life that would be obedient even though I was disobedient now in the past what I would have done is because I was very mystical you know, in my early years and didn't understand the doctrine of scripture or otherwise I would have probably beat myself up all night long, I would have driven right there the next day I would try to find the guy I drove across Orlando for three hours with Tracy in the car because I failed to witness to somebody at a Shell's restaurant, a seafood restaurant, the night before, thinking that somehow the Holy Spirit was going to show me where this woman lived in the middle of a million people in Orlando. Because of course God wants her just to be saved, and I'm trying to be obedient to the Lord. You know, that's where mysticism will, will lead you. Stick to the text. If, if you blow it, acknowledge it to God and move on. God's bigger than you, but acknowledge it to God take the next opportunity. That's not the last time that I was disobedient. You know, <laughs> I'm disobedient every day. Sadly, I hate it, but I am. Good. We'll look at uh, page 8. Discipleship relationships often begin and flourish in a variety of circumstances. So this is what, what brings our struggle. But what is it? What is effective discipleship? It's undergirded by four essential elements. So it flows out of love. If you don't love the Lord, then focus there. Ask God to show you who He is and increase your love for Him. And as that love increases, you'll find a natural overflow of obedience. Examine yourself with these four areas that will cause you to struggle to be obedient even if you do love him even if you do want to obey and then here's what it actually looks like It, it, it encompasses these four essential elements, it's not just confrontational evangelism it's imitation renovation, cultivation and confirmation imitation number one discipleship is influencing others by the way you live and by proactive teaching of the truth. It is influencing others by the way you live and by proactive teaching of the truth. I used to have a t-shirt that I don't have anymore and it's probably good because I would throw it away. It said, preach the gospel. Use words if necessary. Boy, that's a great little tagline, but it is very unbiblical and nonsense. Now understand the, the, the idea behind it. You need to have a credible life. But preaching the gospel is words, using words. Yes, you have to have a life to back it up, but preaching the gospel is not just an example. Jesus didn't walk through Galilee and do nothing but give an example for how people were to live. He went through the gospel, went through Galilee preaching the kingdom. And yeah, he had a life backed it up. So I'm not trying to, to say life doesn't matter like Catholicism, that the grace comes through the priest even if the priest is a pedophile. What I'm trying to say is life and words go together. So it's imitation. That's what discipleship is. It's, it's influencing others by the way you live. You affect people by the way that, that you live. And it's by proactively teaching the truth. And that's a big commitment. Um You say, wow, I don't look at my life. I don't know if I want others to imitate my life. I don't know if my life's worthy of imitating. So I better not be engaged in discipleship. Let me pop your bubble. You're already living a life. And people are already watching your life. And you're already influencing people with your life. You just might not be influencing them the right way. So you don't get out of it. You're already doing it. So do it in such a way that brings honor and glory to Christ and brings you pleasure for being obedient to the Father. So influencing others by the way you live and by the proactive teaching of the truth. What does that mean? What does imitation <clears throat> mean? Well, you go to Philippians uh, 3.17. Somebody look up Philippians 3.17. Philippians 3.17. Somebody look up one Corinthians four sixteen. Somebody look up eleven one. Who's got? Who will take three seventeen? All right. Who will take one Corinthians? Okay. Uh, four sixteen, and who will take eleven one? I saw another hand. So. Right. Stephen Philippians three seventeen. Read that for us,
2: brethren. Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the
0: pattern you ha- you have in us follow my example what else observe. observe observe those who walk according to the pattern you have seen in us walk, pattern seen, you hear all those words observe yeah. alright first Corinthians 4 therefore I urge you to imitate me ok Eleven one. Imitators of me as I am of Christ. imitators of me as I am of Christ. Imitation does not mean following a man as if he is the inherent authority or has the inherent authority in and of himself. It does mean imitating the teaching and living that aligns with Christ. Being turns into doing. Being turns into doing. And so as Christ transforms you, then your life is worthy to be followed. Um, there's a difference between telling someone to do something and showing them how to do it. So it does involve telling. Okay? I am a father, and I have a four-year-old or a three-year-old son who, he's made a mess in the floor with his blocks and we've got company coming over and i say to him